Hello and welcome to American Pale Males. This is your host, Jeremy. With me as always is my co-host. Wow, that was like a... That's, it's Michael, and that was like a Law and Order intro. Michael, how in the world are you? Uh, I'm actually... You know, we were talking about colds last episode. <laughs> Every episode? <laughs> yep. And uh, yeah, I, I now have a cold. Um, I don't think it's going to impact my palate too much, but it's there. There may be an occasional snort or sniffle in the background, and that's just me clearing mucus from my nasal passageway. Awesome. How about, uh, have you had any fancy pants uh, beers, perhaps? I have. Anything to brag about, mayhap? Oh, yeah, now that you mention it. um, I'm actually going to dip back into Christmas. I have a little um, reservoir of sweet beers that I tried at that time. And I have one. That surprised me and much of the other patrons. No, that's not the right word. Beer guzzlers at uh, the Christmas event. Um, because it was from Potosi. Ooh. And it's a brandy barrel-aged Belgian quad. Interesting. And when I think Potosi, I think good old Potosi, you know, summery beers. I like their coffee stout quite a bit. Pretty safe zone. Yeah. But good beers. I mean, so, not solid. They're not gonna three. So- yeah, they're not gonna go. three Floyd's their way out of anything anytime soon. Well, this though, this inner sanctum again, brandy barrel aged Belgian quad. It was like the beer of the night, and we were all shocked. You know, we even had some Trappist beers there. Um, we had various barrel aged, quite a few barrel aged beers, and this mm-hmm. was the best one. Little Potosi. Um, what I really liked about it was the brandy quality to it. It gave it that kind of like boozy sheen mm-hmm. and that barely flavor um, without being like a whiskey punch in the face. So it was a little more delicately flavored than a whiskey barrel aged beer. So kind of so like it was a little different, a little classier than say a, uh, uh, some random barrel aged stuff that I can't think of right now. I tried <laughs> yes, to pull something yeah. out of my tail into there. <laughs> classier than a blue note. How about that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and aside that, it was a nice solid quad too. ABV oh. of 10.5, uh, 23 IBU. One sentence of their flavor text says, best enjoyed with a smug attitude and a cashmere turtleneck. So I was actually just going to say, Michael, are you wearing giant horn-rimmed glasses sitting by a fire in a high-backed, overstuffed easy chair? Uh, complaining about the stock market or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Bearskin rug. Mm-hmm. Live bear, of course, just tranquilized. <laughs> yeah, continuously infused with uh-huh. a medazolam <laughs> infusion. Um, but yeah, so that was good. Jeremy, what have you got for me for a beer break? I also went back into the uh, the Christmas areas, Michael. Uh, yes. Is this what you teased last week? It is. Uh, I got my hands on the Christmas Bomb from Prairie Artisan Ales. Now, we have spoken many times about all the different beers that we need to trade for the upcoming season or mini-season or whatever we're doing next. Mm-hmm. But when a beer, a single bottle costs like $10, I'm not going to give you one. So uh, <laughs> That's a splitter, if anything. Well, yeah, but I mean, like the only thing I've given you that was close to that was like eight ninety nine, and it came with a friggin' glass in it. That's right. So that was that was fine. But the the Christmas bomb was it was different. So I have not had any of the the so called Prairie bombs from Prairie Artisan Ales, probably because <laughs> of the prohibitive price point, but also just because I have just never gotten around to it. And I saw it sitting there, and I'm like, why not? It's still 
you know, blisteringly cold outside. So we may as well, or I rather, may as well go for it. Mm. Yeah, you need to you need to invest into one of these, Michael. I don't think they're around up here, so the next time I'm in town, I might yeah. have to uh, worth the trade cruise. if they yeah, have, or, if they yeah, have do something. Um, yeah. but the the spicing profile was not you know terribly different than what you would expect from like a, a Christmassy, warmer sort of beer, but the the stout backbone was spectacular. Um, mm. too often with those imperial stouts, if they're I mean it just it get it's too much. It gets like too boozy. And, you know, there's too much of that raw alcohol heat or it's too yeah. sweet or it's too vanilla-y or whatever. This was a perfect, you know, motor oil thick beer that it had, you know, vanilla, some chilies in. I th- I think there were chilies. It had kind of like a uh, like a rum raisin-y sort of feel. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just friggin' delicious. It's so good. I'm not doing a good job talking about it. Balance was what was, you know the most important part of this beer. It was able to have all those different highlights of, you know, a, an imperial stout. The vanilla, the allspice, the cinnamon, or whatever sort of peppers they had in there, they all bounced out perfectly without any one adjunct overwhelming another. So, an excellent beer. Nice. I also had Chocoveza on tap tonight. Oh, on tap? Yeah, that was that was Even different. better? It, it was actually kind of a little bit better. I... I briefly tried to convince the bartender to hook it up to a nitro line, but he did did not humor me. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, uh, I guess let me crank up the intensity. If you had to choose between Christmas Bomb mm-hmm. and Jokoveza, which would you mm. choose? That's a tough question. Uh, right now, I'm going to go with Jokoveza just because I have more of a fondness for that one mm-hmm. than. I do Prairie Bomb because I've only had it once, whereas I've had a few different iterations of the Shokavesa, be it, you know, two different years of the base beer. We had that uh, charred version, I believe, one of the barrel-aged versions of it that was delicious and, you know, significantly different. But I I think I'm going to go with the Shokavesa. Okay. Takes nothing okay. takes nothing away from Prairie Bomb, and you all should check it out if you get the chance. Okay. Jeremy, you had the Christmas bomb, mm-hmm. and I understand you also had another little Christmas present. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, yes. And I saw God. you were tweeting about it, so I thought, yeah, let's talk a little bit on the show. Indeed, I was. I'm talking about the SNES Classic. It's pretty awesome, Michael. Now, this is basically a little thing that connects your TV. It looks like a classic Super Nintendo entertainment system. About a third of the size of an original. Yeah, so it fits in the palm of your hand. I mean, maybe like LeBron James could hold it in his palm or something like that, but... It would span your palm, would you say that? Oh, yes, easily. Um, okay. LeBron James <laughs> just dunking on SNES <laughs> Classic. You're wasting a perfectly good one! Gah! <laughs> so give me give me your um, some picks. Give me some of the games you played and what you're liking. Michael, the games that I have been uh, partaking in so far... There are a number of games on this one that I never really got around to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has like 30, right? Something like that. I Somewhere in there. June. Well, let's see. One, two, three. It looks like a 20-some. 20 to 30? Yeah. So, okay. Something like that. Um, it's got all the big ones on there, like Super Mario World, Super Mario Kart, but it also has you know, some ones that I would not have expected, like Mega Man X, Castlevania mm. 4, 
and uh, Contra 3. So, like, it has been a hot second since I've played any Super Nintendo games. Uh, the younger Jeremy logged a disturbing amount of time in Final <laughs> Fantasy 3, or 6, if you want to be yes. right about it. Technically. Um, I'm looking forward to digging back into Super Metroid and Mega Man X, even though I'm terrible at Mega Man games. Yeah. But uh, over the weekend, I had dug, just, you know, kind of dipped my toe in while Lady of the House was away. Donkey Kong Country for number one. So oh. I never really played that a ton. I played the second one a lot. Okay. But I never really played the original one. Like, maybe the first few levels, but I was terrible at platformers as a child. And That's a tough one, too, in yeah, some places. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I'm finding that out. Um, <laughs> I smoked through the first map area, whatever you want to call it, and I thought it was, you know, like, oh, this is going to be easy. This is w- way easier than I remember. And then once you get past that first area and you get into, like, the mine carts. Yeah, I was going to say uh, the mine like, carts. Oh, yeah. boy, that's, I'm, I'm not good at platformers. <laughs> Some things <laughs> never change. Um, but it's awesome. The graphics do not hold up that well on an HD TV. Oh, yeah. I didn't uh, think about that. To Nintendo's credit, they did not try to, like, high res or HD these or even widescreen them for that matter. It's all in the standard 4.3 layout. I think I that's preferable though. It it is. Um it works a lot better on stuff like Super Punch Out, which is another one I've been going at where it's Oh yeah. It's just straight up like, you know, 2D pixels, like uh-huh. yeah. sta- standard 16-bit graphics that you would you know, you'd expect. Right, not trying to do 3D or like 2.5D or whatever. Yeah, Star yeah. Fox also looks pretty rough, and I'm really bad at that. Um, yeah, I never got into that one too much. I We played it a lot as children, but it was bad, or we were bad at it. it the game is fine. I'm just terrible uh-huh. at it. Um, <laughs> I remember playing Star Fox 64 quite a bit more because I missed the reticule, and there is no reticule on the... Uh, on the oh. Super Nintendo version, so it's like, yeehaw, that's difficult to get across. You're just sh- shooting around. E- yeah, pretty much. Um, I did remember how to barrel roll, but... <laughs> Super Punch-Out is awesome. There's some troubling racial jokes in there that they did not edit out. Yeah. The uh, the fighter Bob Charlie and his uh, corner man telling him to shuck and jive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <sighs> we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, but... I think most of the time has been spent on Super Mario World. Right. Like I, I mean, I do not do a you lot can't of go wrong. Well, no, I mean, I don't do a lot of retro gaming. Um, I think the last air quotes old game I played was uh, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Okay. And I mean, I realize that's about you know ten years old by now, but <laughs> it is terrifying how much I remember. Like I remember how to get through all the haunted houses that I've come across so far. Anyways. I remember, you know, which in Mario, in Mario, which ones to oh, go, yes. which ones to go back to after you've hit like the switch for like the green the blocks, secret exits and stuff. The secret exits. I, I'm remembering a lot of those. Uh, I already found the warps all the way around to the end, but I'm not doing that. That's dumb. <laughs> I, I, oh, I, the Star Road stuff. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You gotta get the uh, alternate ending or whatever. There's it is an alternate ending. Well, if you go through Star Road and do all the uh, oh, yeah. special stages, that's right. I forgot about like it that. will change all the skins on all the uh, that's right characters. That's it's not really an that's ending, not I an guess, ending. but yeah, alternate thing. 
yeah, but it's pretty awesome. Um, as if I didn't have enough of a backlog to begin with. <laughs> I got this thing. I got Wolfenstein 2. I got the new South Park game on sale because I'm a weak man. I still have Dark Souls 3. I'm 30% oh, into maybe 35 by now into Metal Gear Solid 5, and I'm already like 45 hours into this stupid thing. It, <laughs> like, it's it's getting rough, Michael. Like, I have books to read. I have movies to watch. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I foresee a lot of Cobra Verde in my future. <laughs> Late nights. Ten, 10 out of 10 stars would recommend. That's where I'm at, Michael. I uh, I look forward to forcing the lady of the house to try and play Yoshi's Island. <laughs> just just to see how she gets around throwing eggs at things. I want to see her reaction to it. Well, you'll have to report back as you dip more into that, because I'm, I'm interested in uh, how, that, how that goes and what games pass the test of time and what games... Mm, weren't as you remembered them, maybe we should say. Because maybe they're still good, but they're mm-hmm. just... You have a different perspective now, obviously. But Michael. Oh, yes. So, uh, recently I had harassed Council of the Great White North to fill me in on a beer that I had seen on his untapped profile. The Honey Orange Triple from New Belgium's... Uh, what's it called? Belgian Reserve. Um, mm-hmm. I had seen it advertised, but I haven't seen it around here. And it basically looks like Henry K. Duff's private reserve. Okay. But uh, when I had seen that they had tried it, I asked him to write in. And write in, he and the wife did. Here's the color text on the Honey Orange Triple. For this recipe, our brewers drew inspiration from Belgian Golden Strong Ale, a style we love. We sought mm-hmm. out the very best ingredients, sourcing wild honey from the African Bronze Honey Company, a member of the Fair Trade Federation, and a certified B Corp. I don't know what that means. The Seville orange peel is ground freshly ground 24 hours prior to the day we brew by the, the Old Town Spice Shop, less than one mile from our Fort Collins, Colorado brewery. In the end, we created a big, sweet, and citrusy Belgian-style triple with thoughtfully sourced ingredients. So yeah, that's where that is. It clocks in at 10%. Good gravy. And uh, comes in a six-pack, which seems irresponsible to me. But <laughs> he- here are the words from the American Pale Mail Mail Pale from the Council of the Great White North and his wife. Honey Orange okay. Triple. Wife and I agreed that it did not taste like a 10% alcohol beer. Wife was not in love with it because she really likes the taste of the high alcohol beers. Her thought is that it did not have as much of a bold flavor as she wanted in a 10%. I liked it better, and in retrospect might have underrated it on the tapped. My memory of it is a little impaired since it was a New Year's Day hangover beer, but I, for one, enjoyed it. It actually reminded us both of a higher alcohol Midnight Sun panty peeler, which is a shirt he actually gave me as a groomsman gift. I consider panty peeler in turn to be like a much better higher alcohol blue moon. I will say that neither honey nor orange were particularly strong flavors in it. In conclusion, I thought it tasted very balanced for a 10% beer. Wife thought it was bland for a 10% beer, which is probably our different ways of perceiving the same characteristics. I would drink it again, ideally less hungover, and maybe I would have a better impression of it. And if the idea of drinking three blue moons at once sounds appealing to you, you will probably enjoy it. I'm intrigued by this one. I'm going to have to try and find this one for a proper rating on the show. But thanks to the Council of the Great White North for writing in on that one. Yeah, I mean, a Belgian Strong, that's probably one of my favorite mm-hmm. types of beer out there. And if, if it's New Belgium, that's typically accessible, which is always a good thing. So I'm going to look out for that, too. And he's in Alaska. 
So, I mean, not for nothing, but not everything gets up there. Yeah. And for some reason, New Belgium's uh, find honey orange triple near you feature is not working. So, (laughs) nuts to you, New Belgium. All right. Well, Jeremy, I think it's time to get into the FDR. But before we do that, (laughs) I have a lead-in to the FDR Mm -hmm. because I saw this cool thing that kind of relates to the FDR. It's a little long. It's a story. Um, so I'm just going to try to get through it, but I think it's um, compelling enough. It's kind of, this is like kind of APM pod story time, because this is the story. All about how? <laughs> All about how. Um, not starring Will Smith. Good. Or Tom Cruise or Keanu Reeves. Well, actually, it did star Keanu Reeves in the movie adaptation. I was going to say, this, wait, but... hold on one minute. <laughs> Uh, White Samurais. This is the story of the 47 Ronin. It's a good story. And it is a true story. Um, Most of this I gleaned from Wikipedia. I'm sure there's multiple versions of it, but ultimately the root of the story is true. Mm -hmm. And uh, it relates to our FDR in name, as we'll see here. Okay, so this is 1701 Japan. We got two feudal lords, Asano and Kamei. And they're prepping for a visit from the big guy himself the emperor of japan okay obviously this is a big deal so in order to do this they have to work with an etiquette instructor at the shogun's palace now the shogun's like the military leader of japan he has all the true power emperor's kind of a figurehead Mm -hmm. but anyway at the shogun's place they are getting tips on how to prep for this visit now the instructor's name is kira and he basically treats them like jerks and maybe it's because he didn't get gifts or bribes, which is kind of routine back then. Ultimately, he called them boorish rubes, and um, <laughs> they didn't like that. It you got to the say. point where Kamei said he would kill Kira. Okay. But uh, Kamei's counselors kind of jumped in, bribed Kira, and so Kamei was off the hook. But in turn, Kira dumped on Asano. Asano initially didn't care, but he kept pushing and pushing, and then Asano got hella mad. <laughs> And he lashed out at Kira with a dagger. He kind of glanced him on the cheek or the face somewhere. And then he missed. And then the guard separated him out. And this is a big no-no to attack a Shogun official. Well, duh. So he was ordered to commit seppuku, which is, for those who don't know, ritualistic suicide. It's gutting yourself, isn't it? Uh, With the dagger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just like, and he would forfeit all his lands. Gnarly. Yes, his family was ruined. Act 2. <laughs> Asano had over 300 men under him that were now leaderless. So these are the samurai that are leaderless, are called ronin. Ah, yes. These 47 did not want to allow their lord to go unavenged, and they swore an oath to kill Kira, despite the punishment that would occur. Now, you'd think they'd just go in and charge and kill Kira, but they were led under this man named Oishi. And Oishi knew they shouldn't have gone in to attack Kira right away. He had big fortifications on his domicile, and um, they would have been destroyed, basically. Mm -hmm. So they went incognito. Some of them became merchants. Some of them became monks. Oishi, though, became a roving drunk, bumbling around, (laughs) sleeping in the street, (laughs) visiting houses of ill repute, and basically becoming a big slob. He was laughed at and insulted. And typically you don't do this to a samurai, but he was just acting like such a lowlife that, mm-hmm. 
nobody cared. And the samurai don't take kindly to such things. So it looked like revenge was the furthest thing on his mind. He ended up actually divorcing his wife, but this was actually a plan to protect her and get her away from any association with him. And Kira's spies were saying, ah, this Oishi guy, he's a loser. He's all washed up. He's nothing to worry about. Two years later, after being a drunk for two years, it's time <laughs> to take revenge on Kira. Obviously. He gets the Ronin back into town. They actually know about Kira's house because some of the old uh, Ronin have been like working as merchants and craftsmen and like staking out things, getting intel. They made their own clothes and gear, like their samurai gear, so no one gets suspicious that they're getting back into the samurai lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And Oishi joins them and uh, avoids any spies that tail him. Act three, the payoff. <laughs> <laughs> so on the day of the attack, they were armed with bows and swords. That's like bow and arrow bow. Mm-hmm. They had one group attacking the front entrance, one group attacking the back. Guys with bows made sure nobody ran off to get help. They would just shoot them down. They basically told all the neighbors they were going to attack and they weren't robbers. And they were just retainers seeking revenge. And then at one point, they shouted this from the rooftop. And uh, the neighbors were like, oh, yeah, we hate that guy. So um, that's okay. As long as you don't rob us, we really don't care. <laughs> um, they also avoided attacking women and children and helpless people. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to focus on Kara. They sounded the drum, busted in. The back door came in, then the front door. Da-da-da, go around. Can't find Kira. Oh, but his bed is warm, so he can't be far from here. And uh, they found him in a courtyard through a little secret passage. Oishi confirmed it was him because he saw the scar on his face. Mm-hmm. They were like, all right, you can commit seppuku right now. Ah. So you can use the dagger used by Asano, our leader, former leader, and kill yourself. <laughs> but Kira was kind of freaked out and speechless that they got to him, so they just did it for him. <laughs> and then, before they left, they extinguished any fires and candles in the house so that a fire would not spread to the neighborhood. Hmm. Interesting. Um, after that, they turned themselves in by marching to the grave of Asano with Kira's head. Sweet. And uh, on the way, people were like hyped up and praising them because of their just conviction and dope swordsmanship, bravery. And I don't think a lot of people like Kira. And so they thought what they did was pretty hyphy. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so now the shogunate is in a quandary. They have all these ronin who they technically followed revenge protocol, but they killed a shogunate authority. And uh, the other thing was, people were behind them. They were petitioning, like, hey, these guys are pretty cool. Um, so in the end, they were all sentenced to death. But the leniency part is they were granted an honorable death by seppuku. So they did it. <laughs> 46 of them, one of them was actually pardoned in full. So 46 of them committed seppuku. And uh, the graves are all buried next to the master, Asano. And eventually that 47th guy died of old age, and he was also buried there. Mm-hmm. And you can still go see it. It's still there in Japan, the 47 graves. And their clothes that they wore and the drum they had um, to signal the attack is all there on display. Did you go see it? I did not, because I did not know about it. And now I wish I would have, because it's like just in Tokyo. Was Keanu the one who lasted all the way to old age? I don't know. I never saw the yeah, movie. Yeah, it looked pretty terrible. I don't think a lot of people saw that movie. <laughs> Wasn't there like ghosts and stuff in that movie? Is there? I feel like there was some sort of supernatural shenanigans going no. on. Oh, yeah. I clicked over and I think I saw something about him using magic or something. P.U. Yeah. Anyway, quick epilogue. All the bloodshed and 
<laughs> suicides weren't for nothing. It cleared the Asana name. The other, you know, 250-ish men who had worked for him now had their honor restored and could get jobs. And Asano's brother, who was his heir, was able to reestablish the Asano family name again. And that is the story of the 47 Ronin. So you're telling me that medieval Japan had a more uh, enlightened sense towards rehabilitation of those who have been, you know, in a bad state than our current military industrial prison complex? They actually allowed they actually allowed them to clear their name. <laughs> I'm not saying that directly, uh-huh. but maybe we could learn a few things from this. Um... <laughs> feudal Japan, uh, yeah, feudal Japan. <laughs> Excellent, Michael. But now, with all that said, why, oh, why did you choose (laughs) the story of the 47 Ronin in line with this beer? Because today we are having, from Great Divide Brewing, Samurai Rice Ale. Yes, we are. We are, yes. So this one is from Great Divide, as I mentioned, who are headquartered in Danvier, Colorado. That's the French version of Denver. Oh, I was so confused there for a second. <laughs> I've been to Great Divide. Oh, really? Yeah, it's kind of just like a little tap room. It's not a really big place, but um, it's kind of neat nonetheless. Um, and they make good beer. They do make good beer. Uh, what's your favorite from them? Um, I think we might have actually had it on the show. Um, but they do a lot of good saisons oh. and farmhouse ales. Was it Colette? Colette I've had, and I really like that Me one. Too. That was a very early one on this show. I gotcha. I really like uh, Yeti, I believe, is their stout. <sighs> That's a good one. Yes. Jeremy. Michael. Do you have some flavor text up for this one? I do. This one is a year-round beer. It is it comes in at an ABV of 5.5%, and the description is as follows. Samurai is the perfect beer for your Zen garden after a battle, or your patio after a long day of work. The addition of rice gives a slightly fruity, crisp, refreshing element to this unfiltered ale, creating a light, easygoing beer suitable for the peaceful warrior. Food pairing. Seared tuna with sesame seeds. That seems racist. Well... I mean, it's possible, and rice does go with tuna. Maybe it's obvious at best. Uh, uh, That's fair. Uh, Some fun facts about this. This was originally brewed... Uh, what is now 12 years ago in 2006. Uh, With limited room in their portfolio, Samurai was retired in 2012 to make space to brew Colette year-round. The recipe has never changed. And because of its status as a cult favorite, they've decided to resurrect it into a year-round beer. Um, Nice. Michael, have you ever had a rice ale? You know, I haven't. Well, not to my knowledge, anyway. Mm -hmm. I'm curious because... A lot of American domestic lagers, mm-hmm. Budweiser and such, are made with rice, and it tends to make the beer light. It doesn't impart a, rice does not impart a lot of body to the beer. So I'm curious what a craft beer with rice tastes like. I was thinking the same exact thing. Um, I don't know how I feel about their uh, rice giving it a slightly fruity element, but. I guess we're going to find out pretty soon now, aren't we? Yeah. The uh, it's... the can is pretty striking. I like the color, the color uh, choices of red, white, and blue, because yep. these colors don't run. <laughs> and it's got a silhouetted samurai, I'm assuming, in somewhere, a, Japan. A Tory gate in the background. Uh, sure, one of those things. Yep, some, uh, what are those 
not a loon. Cranes flying in the distance. Yeah. Uh, is that a bonsai tree I see in the distance? Ah, uh, yes, I think that is. Interesting. Um, well, all right, let's get past the racial stereotypes, fitting as they may be. <laughs> I don't know. I've never been to Japan. Are there a lot of cranes and bonsai trees around there, Michael? Um, I did see a lot of well-groomed gardens and trees, okay. so I think that's befitting. I did see a lot of those uh, Tory gates. Uh, I saw one in Seattle going into Chinatown. Oh, yeah. And uh, I did not see a samurai. Uh, I don't think they're around anymore. Uh, is it possible that you can get that little uh, bun that they wear? I don't know the name, and I don't want to be offensive. <laughs> right. So that little knot, the samurai knot, the top knot, I don't know what one calls it. <sighs> if I could look good with a man bun, I nah, would No, I did but... not say a man bun. I want to <laughs> put the kibosh on that. I want you to have a... Uh, a, a very severe looking like case of receding hairline and that little uh, oh. knot at the top of the head. I would do it if I could carry around a katana. Or a wooden so or a dowel of some sort. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's pour this beer. It sounds like you've already mm-hmm. gotten it open. I have. Yes. Uh, um, what glass are you using? Again, like last week, I went just with a no-brainer shaker. I probably should have gone with a taller glass than that. I'm going with a footed Pilsner glass, Michael. Yeah, good choice. I don't know why I'm so fascinated by uh, glass choice. Taking a quick peek at it, there's like a snow globe in here with yeast. Um, really? I Yeah. It's kind of striking. I'm thinking that might impart some flavor. Mine is not smells good. quite that yeasty. Mine is... I can't tell if it's the effervescence or if it's yeast, but I'm... I sus- well, uh, no, okay. I take that back. Once I uh, put it up against the uh, screen here, it, yeah, it does in fact yeah. look like a, a snow globe. You're right. I have about three and a half uh, fingers worth of head on this thing, which is okay in a Pilsner glass. If it was a shaker and you had three and a half, it'd be quite a different story. story. Yeah. I'm not getting a ton of scent from this thing. It does kind of have a sweet smell, but it's a not little bit potent. Not like a uh, Steel Reserve sweet. Right. Not a stanky sweet. Mm-mm. No, definitely not. Uh, shall we go in? Uh, yeah, you go in. I will also note that the color is a kind of pale straw color. It's what you would expect. <laughs> it, well, I mean, it, it it looks like, you know, it looks like a glass of beer, especially one that may or may not have had rice in it at one point. It's a pale yellow, a straw yellow, kind of. And it's oh. it's it's different. I uh, I don't buy this fruity nonsense one bit. Have you you've gone in, though? Yes, I have. Me too. This is strange. It is strange. Um, it's a very striking flavor. As sharp as the sword of a samurai. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's um. Oh, it has like a weird bitterness to it. But um, is that bitterness or is that the ricey flavor of it coming through? Like, a, but yeah, like a yeah. I was just gonna say it's not a hot bitterness mm-hmm. or maybe bitterness isn't the right word, but it's. Has a real striking punch in the center of your tongue with this. I, I don't want to say off flavor because I'm sure it's meant to be mm-hmm. there, but yeah, I don't think it's strange. It, I don't think it's uh, an off flavor. I don't think it's a. It is a bitter, but I don't think it's a bitter based on like they didn't spotch it or anything. No, no, no. It, it's and it's not the uh, you know the stereotypical bitter beer face, right? Which, once again, staggering how many beers we drink now that are specifically just ridiculously bitter <laughs> that marketing backfired it, well i mean it was fine in not the, for uh, the demo but <laughs> it, 
Well, it was also 25 years ago when they did that marketing scheme, Michael. Craft beers had a little bit of a renaissance since then. That's true. Oh, man, I'm not... Hmm. So the fact that this is an ale is, I think, throwing me off a little bit. It's, yeah, maybe it's not as mellow. Um, There's definitely an aftertaste on this thing. Yes, and that's what I don't think I like. Like, the initial mm-hmm. burst of that flavor is okay, but then it kind of lingers after you swallow the beer. It does. Um, That front, well, keep talking, I'm going to go in again. I'm just trying, it tastes like something and I can't place it. It's like... A fruity bitterness, um, but I can't think of like a bitter fruit. Like, <laughs> I can't think of a practical example. Peach um, pit. Yeah, yeah, like a a pit of something. A stone of know? some sort. You're right. Or that little fuzzy uh, red part in a peach when you uh, that the part that's like right around the pit. Yeah, that membrane. <laughs> I. That's not a pith, is it? I don't think it is. I don't think so. Anyway, we're not here to uh, talk about stone fruits. We're here to talk about beer. And I don't know what I think about this one. I'm having... It's really unlike anything I've had, but... I think if I blinded this one, blind tasted it, I might besmirch it. Um, mm-hmm. It has... Huh. I'm just scratching my head. I want to see if there's a enjoy by date. That's not a bad idea. Um, Canned uh, May 19th. Oh yeah. So it is so, a, it is a little old, but I mean in a can you would suspect that it could yeah last. Not only that, but uh it's also a rice ale. I don't suspect they were had a whole bunch of like delicate floral notes they were trying to sustain in here like they would on say the honey orange triple. Yeah, or the hot or you know, a big hoppy uh-huh. thing that turns bad. So at the risk of uh blowing the end of the segment, Michael We've never had one that's been this unusual and a craft beer, have we? I think anything that's been this unusual, uh huh, we have known going in that it would be unusual or crappy. One might say, because <laughs> I, I I don't know. I did not have high hopes for that cherry almondale, which is that was our most hated beer of 2017, wasn't it? With the expectation that it might be good, yeah. Okay, I mean. Steel Reserve was, you know... It is what it is. Right. We knew that was probably not going to be very highly uh-huh. rated. What do we... So, okay, we're... we're Normally we say, what do we like about a beer? But I feel like we're both on the same page. What do we dislike about this beer? Besides that stank bitterness, is there anything else in there? Mm. There's no yeast flavor to speak of. Yeah, or at least it's not helping out. With that bitterness, there is, like I said, initially there is like a little... At the front of the tongue, there's... It does have this fruity quality to it, almost like a great, like a Fruit Loop or something like that, or uh, fruity pebbles. And it's very uh, brief before that bitterness takes over. Uh-huh. We we're talking about what we don't like. I guess that's what I like about it, but <laughs> that's like on the scale of milliseconds, anyway. Yeah, I'm going to because we're having such a difficult time. I'm going to break the chain and uh, go in to beer advocate. And find out what in God's name we're... Yeah, what is the word we're looking for to describe this? Yeah. Uh, I guess is the thing. Lemon? No. I mean, Some citrus. It does It does have a nice mouthfeel. It does not have a fast yeah. finish. No. It's, there's no hop whatsoever in this. It's, it's very grainy. 
right? It is grainy. Yeah, no hop. No detectable. There's no funk. Well, the taste is a little funky. I, I mean funk in the sense of uh, like a, a weird, like the farmhouse we had last week. Or a, okay. or a sour or, you know, something that would be listed under the funk section out at 30 Hop. I see a lot of people saying that it's taste of lightly toasted grains, rice, and some floral notes. I do not get floral notes whatsoever. Mm. Um, but I also, just, you know, a, a touch congested, so... I don't think the glass choice is helping. Yeah, maybe it's just uh, this kind of grainy rice taste that we're encountering. There is a very, very small touch of lemon. Uh, yeah, I think that's part of that initial note. Yeah. Um, thanks, Beer Advocate. Uh, hang on I'm, one second here. I'm just looking at more poor reviews on Beer Advocate real quick here. Mm-hmm. Molded corn and wheat. As Molded corn? M- Molded corn, as in, I think, moldy. Very similar to macro brews because of the rice. Yeah. Uh, grainy malt bill with a little bit of sweetness. Citrus hops join the fray and accompany the acidic baking soda taste. Hmm. That might be kind of. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah. It's Caustic into, flavor? Like, that, yeah, the, that's a pretty good descriptor, yeah. Huh. Anyway, yeah, okay, enough of this. You're right. Let's get into it. Boy, um, I guess I'll go. F- First, yeah, go for it. Let me take a quick last sip here. I still got a bit more in there, but here's the thing. Like, I really had high hopes for this. I thought it would be something unique and different, but I also thought it would be enjoyable, and I'm really not enjoying this that much. In fact, it's hearkening back to, like, that aftertaste that we have with Steel Reserve. Mm-hmm. Like, it's this really grainy aftertaste lingering this is weird but it's kind of like a sweet bitterness yeah and i don't know maybe if it's fresher it's better but i mean i gotta rate with what we have Mm -hmm. i'm going with the lower of the two because oh god i'm gonna give a 1.75 um so so what what prevented you from scraping the bottom of the barrel well i was trying to think what i gave steel reserve because honestly, that's what I'm comparing it to at this point. Mm-hmm. It's a little better than that. It is. That's correct. It has some subtle complexity there. Um, not subtle complexity. It has a marginal amount of complexity um, versus Steel Reserve. And I th- I don't know what I gave Steel Reserve. I probably gave it a 1 or a 1.5 maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm basically ranking it a little bit more than that. I don't know what I actually gave Steel Reserve, but... I assume it was one something, and I didn't want to give this a two because I honestly, the only thing that would make me want to try this again is getting it on tap or seeing it was canned a week ago mm-hmm. and morbid curiosity saying, was it was it an old beer or was it actually that yucko? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go in and finish this thing off real quick. Okay. The ultimate taste of judgment. This is not good. 1.25. Yeah. This is a pretty terrible beer. It's... I like them for trying something different, but I don't think the rice flavor goes well with the ale style. Um, It's entirely possible that our beer, being six, seven months old, is eh, actually seven, eight. Yeah. Might have something to do with it, but this is is not good. There's not a lot of redeemable... Mm-hmm. qualities about it to even like latch on to to say oh if it was fresher it would yeah so i don't 
Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. I'm just taking a quick dip back into Steel Reserve here. Okay, well, I was a little off. I gave it a 0.5. You gave it a 1.5. I did. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there's even something to say for that. Like, you mm-hmm. go in with the expectation of what a Steel Reserve will be, and then what an expectation of a something from Great Divide will be, and there's a really a large degree of dissonance there. Mm-hmm. So I can see why you would even rate it lower, because you had higher expectations for it. So that's another one down the gullet. <laughs> it, it was. It was a bad one down the gullet. A disappointing end to the season? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Eh, what are you going to uh, do? That is the end of our shared beers, um, but we're going to be back. I think we're going to focus on some more winter beers, like specifically that might even have winter in their name <laughs> for the next few weeks. So um, mm-hmm. stay tuned. The end of the season for us is nothing to you. Yeah, it <laughs> means audience. nothing. It, it just means we have to go driving somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll, let's uh, cut off there before we uh, say anything more well, mm-hmm. about this beer. Um, I'll do the social media stuff real quick here. Sounds good. You can find us in a variety of places and get in touch. You can do that on Twitter at APMPod, Facebook.com slash APMPod, and you can email directly APMPod at gmail.com. You can also check us out on Untapped. We're Keeper of the Untapped, Tom Bombadil of the show, <laughs> and host Emeritus Mike keeps up with that and gives out our ratings. Uh, we're on YouTube. We have little clips of the show up there. And please subscribe mm-hmm. if you can. Any means possible. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Music, whatever it is. Or whatever app you have on your phone or computer. We'll leave it at that then. So for Jeremy, I've been Michael. For Michael, I have been Jeremy. And this has been American Pale Males. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.